I've titled today's talk, Repentance Without Regret. Repentance Without Regret, 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Now, Paul has written a letter to the believers in Corinth. If you study the epistle writings, whether it be the book of Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, whatever, uh, you'll notice if you study that the church of Corinth was a very carnal church. It struggled with a lot of uh, sinful flesh patterns, and Paul is constantly dealing with this church. He writes two letters. He spends more time writing to the believers in Corinth than he does any other church. And uh, there was a lot of immorality and different things happening there. But he writes this letter to these believers there, and they respond in an appropriate way. And so we'll pick it up right here in verse 9, where Paul says, I now rejoice, not that you were made sorrowful, but that you were made sorrowful to the point of repentance. Now, the word sorrowful there in the Greek literally means to grieve in your heart and to be made sad. So Paul, what Paul is saying here is when I wrote this letter to you, I, I didn't want you to just be sorrowful, but, but it has led to the right kind of sorrow before God to the point of repentance. He says this, you were made sorrowful according to the will of God. For the sorrow that is according to the will of God, listen, 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 the sorrow that is according to the will of God, produces a repentance without regret, leading to salvation. But the sorrow of the world produces death. Now, the Amplified Bible, I like the way it captures it here. Verse 10, it says, For godly sorrow that is in accordance with the will of God produces a repentance without regret, leading to salvation. But worldly sorrow... The hopeless sorrow for those who do not believe produces death. Now, I want to unpackage this for you today, but I want to preface a few statements as I get rolling. We live in the South. It's been labeled the Bible Belt. The Bible Belt for many people has become the bondage belt. When Paul wrote to Timothy, he says, be aware of this. In the last days, men will be lovers of self-pleasure, etc., he said, they will have a form of godliness, but they deny the power therein, avoid such people. There's so many people in the South that have had some type of church marinade affiliation growing up. There's so many people that will walk aisles, pray prayers, become even baptized, join a church, but they fade away pretty quickly. And they cycle back in during another crisis, and then they cycle back out and cycle in. And you'll see people do that oftentimes in the South. I've watched that. I've noticed that. Now, let me, let me say this to you. Paul writes to the believers in Philippi in chapter 1 of Philippians, verse 6, and he says, Being confident of this very thing, that he, Christ, who began a good work in you, will be faithful to perfect and mature that work until the day of Christ Jesus. What I've noticed in the Bible Belt, the bondage belt, is oftentimes people will start to flirt with church or the things of God when they're going through a marital crisis, when they're going through financial difficulty, when they have a prodigal child. When something is going on, they'll run and try to get God to meet them on their terms, and they never respond to God on God's terms. So what we see oftentimes is a lack of godly sorrow. We're going to break this down. If you 
have encountered Christ on Christ's terms and Christ has began the good work, you can be confident that he's going to perfect his work in you. But you've got to ask the question, what started the work in me? Don't miss this. Don't miss it. So he says, godly sorrow produces repentance that leads to salvation. So godly sorrow literally means that I've come to a place where I know that I have grieved the heart of God. My sin, my wickedness, my transgression, my deceit, my whole life when I look and go, man, I've got godly sorrow. I've grieved the heart of God. I've saddened the heart of God. I, I have done things against God that were not keeping with the standard of his righteousness and holiness. And I know in my heart, man, I'm saddened and sick by that. So you've got to pose the question, have you reached that place? Is that where you live? Have you ever encountered that? Because a lot of people oftentimes will pray prayers, Jesus save me, just because they're trying to dodge hell, but there's been no godly sorrow that's led to repentance that has led to salvation. You've got to understand what biblical salvation looks like. So godly sorrow is heartfelt misery that leads to raw confession. I've seen people that have experienced this type of godly sorrow. There's no filter when it comes to their confession. Did you hear me? When they start to vomit up the stuff and the sickness and the sin of their soul, there's no filter. They don't care. They're just trying to, to let God know that they know how wicked and vile they are. And they're like, man, I just want to get right. Godly sorrow produces repentance that leads to salvation. I was pondering various scripture, thinking through this whole godly sorrow piece. Peter, a disciple of Jesus. Peter, right before Christ is crucified, he's out there warming himself over a fire. And they come to him and they are like, you're one of his disciples. You, you follow that Yeshua Jesus guy. He begins to curse and swear and says, I, I don't even know him. I don't even know what you're talking about. And Jesus had told Peter, you're going to deny me and hear the rooster crow. And as soon as the rooster starts crowing, the scripture says that Peter went out and began to weep bitterly. Have you ever reached that point where you know the, the sorrow of your soul of how you've offended the heart of God and it's caused you to respond like Peter where he went out and he wept bitterly because he knew that he had denounced and denied his Savior. David echoes it greatly throughout the psalm, Psalm 51, that prayer of repentance and brokenness where he confesses before the Lord after having the adulterous encounter with Bathsheba, killing her husband. David cries out in Psalm 51, beautiful confession, cleansing, receiving the power of the Lord into his life, the consecration of his heart, and then he begins to live with a contrite heart, meaning the ability to remember the pain of his sin, but not going back and replaying the video. David pens in Psalm chapter 6, I am worn out from groaning all night long. I flood my bed with weeping, and I drench my couch with tears. David was looking at this godly sorrow. I've offended and hurt the heart of God. He's grieved in his soul, and he's like, if you look at my bed, and if you look at my couch, there's puddles of tears as I've cried out to God for what I've done. Paul would say in Romans chapter 7, O wretched man that I am, 
Who will deliver me and set me free from this body of death? Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift in Christ Jesus. Even Paul uses phraseology, oh, wretched, miserable, dirty, desperate man that I am. Who's willing to set someone free like me? Who's willing to love someone like me? But he gets real about his sin. James, the half-brother of Jesus, would write, wash your hands. You sinners, purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and well. Change your laughter into mourning. Change your gloom or your joy into gloom. What is James saying? If you ever reach this place of godly sorrow where you realize before God, I've jacked it up, I need a Savior, I can't live in this pitiful shape any longer, you'll start to well and weep and cry and experience great sorrow. Now, reality is, everyone under my voice here today, you've done things that you regret. Each and every one of us, if we could go back and have a few mulligans at certain times of our journey, we would probably hit a different shot at that time of the game. I have. I've heard certain people say, well, if I could go back, I wouldn't change anything. And I'm like, you're a liar and you're a fool. (laughs) Man, I wish I could go back and have a a do-over on certain situations in my life. Because I wouldn't be, at that time, living with such stable misery and regret. But here's what you've got to understand. There's a difference in godly sorrow and worldly sorrow, even as you start to pay attention or look back at those regrets. Godly sorrow is when you realize that you've offended the heart of a holy and righteous God. You're desperately desiring to turn from your sin, and you're begging God for forgiveness to make you clean. Did you hear that? Godly sorrow, I look at my sin, much like Isaiah, woe is me, for I'm a sinful man. I've got unclean lips. I live among unclean people. He sees the glory of God. He sees the stain and wretchedness of his life, and he goes, woe is me. So so we look at this piece, and we go, the sin, this separation is real to me. It's godly sorrow. It, it, It is a severing, a breaking away from it as well as a desire to become intimate with God, godly sorrow. It's different than worldly sorrow. Uh, Godly sorrow leads to repentance. Repentance is always focused on taking personal ownership for what you've done. Did you hear me? Repentance is not looking out the window, pointing the fingers at other people. Repentance is looking in the mirror where you say, look at what I've done. And so you own what belongs to you and you own uh, your willful rebellion that you've participated in, but it's this deep desire to say, I want to be made right with God. Now, I want you to get this today because here in our culture, again, I think a lot of people have flirted with church style uh, concepts and they've got this form of godliness, but when it comes to deep godly sorrow, it hasn't taken root. And so we recycle and we recycle and we recycle and we stay in stable misery. So godly sorrow is guilt and conviction over sin and it's guilt over realizing I've offended the heart of God. I have. It's not my brother, it's not my sister, but it's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. It's me. Godly sorrow. Worldly sorrow is always focused on us. Worldly sorrow is feeling guilty because we got caught 
or because we might get exposed. You, you watch people, whether it's immoral style, adulterous issues or whatever, oftentimes when people get caught, they try to minimize what's happened. They try to trivialize the issues. They, they got caught, and so they're trying to minimize the collateral damage that might happen. If other people really knew how jacked up I am and what I've done, how is that going to carry with my image? Worldly sorrow. Worldly sorrow leads to self-pity. I can't believe I did this. Can I tell you something? Godly sorrow, when you experience that, you go, I know that there's nothing good that dwells within my flesh. I'm capable of jacking it up as, as much as anybody on the planet. But worldly sorrow gets all self-centered and self-pitying. I can't believe I would do something like that. And you stay and wallow in that. It leads to embarrassment. What are other people going to think? You see, godly sorrow, once uh, the person is broken before the Lord, they don't care what anybody else thinks. They're just trying to get right with God. They, they want to be pure and clean before God. You, you see, I'm not going to stand before you one day and give an account, and you're not going to stand before me. We're going to stand before a holy God. So once we get broken, it's like, I'm going to have to stand before God. Now, I'm not trying to protect my image and save face. I, I got to get right. Uh, worldly sorrow leads to shame. I'll never be able to... Uh, Forget what I've done. It leads to personal condemnation. I can't forgive myself. Worldly sorrow is it's focused on me. It's focused on my hurt. It's focused on how maybe I've been offended or how I've been mistreated or how I haven't been treated fairly. Worldly sorrow ultimately leads to protection and not confection. Did you get that? Protection and not confession. Once I, I start to try to protect myself and minimize all this, I, I have to really wonder if I've experienced godly style sorrow or if I've just been wounded and I'm still trying to come up with my own strategies and solutions and agendas and to protect myself. Does that make sense? This is war. And so God is wanting us to engage with him fully and God is wanting us to know him completely and, and God is inviting us into this holy relationship. But if I'm just experiencing worldly sorrow, I'll continue to play games and I'll never really become free and healed. Godly sorrow focuses on how God has been offended. Worldly sorrow focuses on us and our hurt. Now, here are some of the manifestations that Paul kind of lays out that is represented once a person has experienced godly sorrow. And I want you to get these. Verse 11, he says, this godly sorrow has led to a repentance without regret. It leads to salvation. And then he says, behold, what earnestness this very thing, this godly sorrow has produced in you. What vindication of yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what avenging of wrongs. I'm like, man, I want to study this. I want to comb through this because here are some of the manifestations of a person who has truly been broken by the Holy Spirit and now is walking in godly sorrow out of brokenness, earnestness. I started looking at that word, and I'm not going to give you the Greek, but I'm going to break it down for you on what it means. But that word earnestness means to aggressively pursue righteousness. 
But because of this godly sorrow that's led to repentance, that's ushered in God's salvation, you've got this earnestness inside of you. You've got this aggression in your soul now that wants to pursue the righteousness of God, which means you've got a different view towards sin now. You don't view sin as being okay or acceptable or being able to pacify it or justify it any longer. You've got this desperation in your soul to pursue the righteousness of God. And so when you look at your sin, you go, I don't view it the way I used to. It used to be okay. I used to think it was okay to have pet sins that I could entertain occasionally. But now I've got this earnestness inside of me. I want to know God. I want to embrace Christ every day. I want to walk in purity and holiness. And he says, look at what godly sorrow has done. Godly sorrow, not worldly sorrow, has led to repentance and it's led to salvation. And you're earnest about it. I mean, it's crazy. People will oftentimes ask, how close to the line of sin can I get without sinning? A person who's experienced godly sorrow that's led to repentance and salvation wants to know how close to Christ and filled with the Holy Spirit they can get. They never ask the question, how close to the line of sin can I get before it's considered jacked up? It's like, I don't, I don't want to walk in sin anymore. I don't want to flirt with sin anymore. It's produced this earnestness inside of me. I want to know God. He goes on to say, it's produced this vindication of ourselves. You go, what does that mean? It's the desire to confess and be totally clean before God. I will confess it. Anything, anything that the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit turns on that searchlight in your heart, as soon as he does, you go, I'll confess that. I'll agree with God that that's sin that kept me in sickness and ruins and defeat for a long period of time. He goes, look at how you no longer desire to hide sin. Can I tell you the person that has experienced biblical God-centered salvation doesn't want to hide sin in their lives any longer? We don't want to hide sin. We don't want to flirt with sin. We don't want to conceal sin. We want to confess it. It's like, I want to be clean. But again, in the Bible belt, you'll see people that walk an aisle, pray a prayer, and they don't confront sin in their lives. It's like nobody wants to preach about sin anymore. It's like sin is okay. Because God is a cosmic Santa, and he doesn't require or inspire anything. Sit on his lap, tell him what you want. Everything's cool. That's not the God of the Bible. It's never been the God of the Bible. Jesus Christ died for sin. So if I like sin, pacify sin, and tolerate sin, what I'm saying is if he was here again today, I would crucify him again. I don't want to do that. And so he says, look at you. This vindication, it is, it's led you to a place where you don't want to tolerate that. You want to be clean. You want to be whole. You want to confess. You want to walk in purity. Godly sorrow has produced repentance, this turning from all of this wretchedness and misery, and now you've experienced this salvation, meaning you've been delivered from and set free from the ruins and wreckage of sin, and you've been set free to walk in the, the gospel of holiness and hope. Come on. There's not going to be a lot of amens in here today. I knew that going into it because this is a contemplative message. But I'm so 
sick of seeing the gospel watered down and treated like a good luck charm, like a rabbit's foot. That's not the gospel. He goes, look at the vindication of yourselves. And then he says, look at the indignation that this godly sorrow has produced. The word indignation is a very strong word. It means to have a deep anger and hatred towards sin. That's what the literal translation means. Because you've been set free, because you've experienced salvation, you now look at sin and you have a hatred for sin. Not the sinner, not the person, but for the sin. Because the sin that I participated in, and many of you, kept you living a defeated life. It kept you in bondage. It kept you in shame. And he goes, look at that. The person who has experienced salvation, they just don't think sin's wrong. They have a hatred for it. Did you hear that? There's a hatred for it. Hatred. I want you to stay here with me. Our sin. When Jesus died on the cross, he died for sin once and for all. He became sin, the one who knew no sin, so that we could become the righteousness of God. What did Jesus die for? Sin. So what do we conclude about sin? God hates sin. And if I'm a follower of Christ who has received the salvation because of the godly sorrow that led to repentance, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to hate sin. I'm going to hate wickedness. I'm going to hate vileness. I'm going to hate it. I'm not going to hate the person because Christ died for that. But every time I look at sin, tolerate sin, pacify sin, I'm telling Jesus what you did, I really... I'm really kind of apathetic toward it. It's not enough for me. I would rather live on Pleasure Island than to live a life of purpose. Come on. So I'm studying through this going, that's a strong word. Look at what the salvation has brought. It's brought indignation. So when I willfully sin, I continue to commit treason against Christ. Did you hear that? When I willfully sin... I'm committing treason, and I don't want to do that. And so when Paul lays it out, look, look, look at what this is producing in you. This godly sorrow produces fear. Now, I would define fear as reverence toward God and the holiness of God, but also fear as being this understanding and proper perspective about the wrath of God. If our society has lost anything in the last years, it's lost this fear of the wrath of God. People don't fear the wrath of God. They're like, well, that's the God of the Old Testament, the one that showered down wrath on people. Tell Ananias and Sapphira in Acts 5 after the Holy Spirit's been poured out that that was just an Old Testament God. I look at that and I'm like, I fear the wrath of God. In October of 85, when I respond to the gospel and repent, it was the fear of God. If I were to die in my drunken state and have to stand before this holy God, if, I, if I'm killed in a car wreck or whatever, I'm not prepared to stand. It was this wrath of this holy God and this fear and reverence of the, the God of the Bible. I'm like, I don't want to stand before him right now. I was growing up in Noonan, my grandparents on the cash side they lived on the old mill village in the little four-room houses with a bathroom on the back porch 
And I would go over and hang with him at times. And this was in the days before Doppler radar and in the days before we had all of these radar images that we could look at. And I'll never forget hanging out with my granny. And man, there would be a storm that just kind of blew in and it would be thundering and it would be lightning and the rain. And my granny, this little lady, she would run and hide under the kitchen table. And I'll never forget her doing that. And I said, why, why, why do you do that, granny? Because that storm right there, son, puts the fear of God in you. I'm like, you hide under the table. That big oak, if it breaks through the house, I promise you, you ain't got much protection. You might want to try the bed next time. But I remember looking at her going, the fear of God. Where is the fear of God in people today? Where is the fear of God in our nation? Where is the fear of God in Georgia? Where is the fear of God in you? What puts the fear of God in you? What puts God's like holy, reverent wrath? God is a jealous God. And there's something inside of me that believes that if I were just to willfully go out and royfully, uh, just royally jack it up and screw it up, I believe God could take me out like that. I'm like, I fear that. Do I serve this God that's a cosmic sheriff mad at everybody? No. But he's not a cosmic Santa. You can't just do what you want, sit on his knee and say, you're going to hook a brother up. That's not the way it works. He says, godly sorrow produces fear. It produces a longing. A longing there is the word yearning, and it means this inward desire to do everything I can to stay in perfect fellowship with my God. This salvation that you've experienced based on repentance, you've got a longing inside of you now. You've got this yearning inside of you. You want to be in fellowship with your God. You don't want anything to hinder that relationship and fellowship and anything going on that's going to hurt me right now. I'm walking in the joy of the Lord. God's not mad at me. But as I walk in the Spirit, I'm constantly asking the Holy Spirit to help me do introspection to say, is there anything jacking with me right now that would hinder your work in my life? Anything. It produces this longing. And then he says, it produces a zeal. Look at the zeal. It's a driving passion to know God, to love God, to serve God, to honor God. Don't, 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 don't miss this. Don't, don't, don't miss it. Authentic biblical salvation that's birthed out of godly sorrow that's led to real repentance. When people have experienced that, God puts a zealousness inside of our hearts. People that are filled with the power of the gospel, you don't have to ask them to serve. You don't have to ask them to give. You don't have to ask them to get involved. You don't have to beg them to do it. Why? Because Godly sorrow leads to repentance that's brought about salvation. I want to give. I want to serve. I want to go. I want to get involved. I want to minister. I want to feed the poor. I want to reach out to the community. And so many of our people here are getting that. But there's a zealousness inside to say, I've got to do it. I got to. Why? In order to be saved? In order for God to like you? No, because he does like me and I am saved, but he's put the joy of the gospel inside of me. So he uses these words, earnestness, vindication, indignation. Godly sorrow produces fear. It produces a longing, a zeal. Can I tell you this? Apathy is the mark of a person who's experienced 
religion, not Christ. A person that has been consumed with the fire from heaven will not live an apathetic life. People that are empowered by the gospel and infused to the hope of the glory that comes from Jesus, they usually don't respond with phrases like, I don't know and I don't care. That's apathy. A person who's been infused with the power of the gospel, they care. I know Christ and he cares for people. I want to get involved. Apathy, that's not part of a believer's journey. Now, we're all going to struggle and kind of get caught up in certain things at times where we got to work through it. But can I tell you something? We don't stay there in an apathetic state. That's not the gospel. And then he says, look, this gospel of salvation this birthed out of repentance, which came from godly sorrow, you've got now inside of you this desire to avenge any wrongs. That's what the text says. There's this avenging of wrongs. What are you saying? What he's saying there is we're not satisfied to get away with sin any longer. We're not satisfied with just getting away with our brutal behavior and flesh patterns any longer. What is he saying to the believer that has actually experienced true biblical salvation? There's a desire to avenge wrongs. When you know that you've hurt someone, frauded someone, betrayed someone, you want to go get it right. God inside of you will tell you, you wronged that person. You, you need to go clean that up because he is about avenging wrongs. Didn't say that there was going to be restoration in the relationship, but he put something inside of you to say, you need, you need to go clean that up. So we're getting ready to go to our, my 15th high school reunion. I'm like, this ought to be fun. I'm walking with Jesus now, and this is like big chill. We're going back to see what's up. And so weeks before we were going, I was praying one day, and the Lord said, if you see, I'll call her Amy, a former girlfriend. If you see Amy, you need to... Uh, Talk to Amy, and you need to tell Amy you're sorry for how you wronged her and how you hurt her and how you just dropped her in that relationship and how you were not truthful with her. You need to tell her that. I'm like, really? Yes. Clean it up. I'm like, okay. So I'm going through the days, and all of a sudden we go down to Noonan to this high school reunion. And so we're hanging there for a bit. Barb and I are just kind of chilling. Well, Amy and her husband show up. Like, how y'all doing? Good to see you. All right, it's been a long time. Hope all is well. Her husband says, I'm going to go get something to drink. Y'all need anything? I'll be back in a minute. Barb goes, I've got to use the restroom really bad. I'll be back in a minute. <laughs> Told you to clean it up. Clean it up. Amy, I want to tell you, I'm so sorry for the way I treated you years ago. I crushed your heart. I betrayed you. I did you bad. I did you wrong. You like me, love, whatever that meant. But I really hurt your heart, and I crushed you. And tears started streaming down her face. And I said, um, I'm so sorry. I mean, I've come to faith in Christ, and God's doing a work. Who I was then was terrible, and I treated you terrible. Would you please forgive me? 
tears going down her cheeks. And she said, I came to faith in Christ about two years after we broke up, after you left. And I want you to know I forgave you then. And I told God that hurt and that crushed me. But I turned it over to the Lord. And I want you to know I forgive you. And I said, I'm so sorry I crushed you. Now, now believe me, I've had to go to other people in my life. I'm like, I hurt that person. I did it. But I believe authentic salvation that comes out of authentic repentance that's driven by godly sorrow by the Holy Spirit will lead us to a place where we go, I, I got to avenge the wrongs. Don't miss this. Don't play cultural Christianity. Ask the Holy Spirit to turn on his searchlight in your heart and to go, have I experienced godly sorrow that's led to repentance, a turning and severing of sin? Do I have a hatred for sin or do I tolerate it? Lying, stealing, gossip, drinking, porn. Do I tolerate it? Do I have these little pets that I still tolerate that are absolutely intoxicating to my health with God? And it's really disturbing my horizontal relationships as well. Does this make sense, gang? So, repentance without regret. Repentance is out without regret is when I break and sever that sin. I turn toward the Lord. I'm not walking, looking back, going, well, man, what I regret about my repentance is I can't get hammered, and I can't chase the girls, and I can't, and I can't. It's a repentance with no regret. I, I don't regret coming to Jesus. I don't regret leaving the world. I've repented because of godly sorrow. and I can lay my head on the pillow at night and I'm at peace in my soul because I'm honoring God and I'm not lying and stealing and cheating and doing anything. I'm, I'm honoring God. I'm in the word. I'm in prayer. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm really chasing the heart of God. That's what God wants for all of us. I pray that today's word encouraged you. And thanks for joining us uh, on this uh, broadcast today. If we can help you in your walk with Christ in any way, feel free to contact us here at the Cross Loganville. Our email, info at thecrossloganville.org, or you can call us 770-554-3322. God bless you, and I pray that you have just an incredible day.